This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Hello and welcome to Tuesday's Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new episode every single day of the season. On today's show, we pick the bones out of an entertaining 2-2 draw between Arsenal and Crystal Palace last night on Patrick Vieira's return to his old stomping ground. But the Frenchman was left floored by a last gasp gunner's goal as Lacazette got the leveller. And from the end of the Premier League weekend to the start of the next Champions League match week as Manchester City and Liverpool take to the European stage tonight. Both sides away from home with City travelling to Bruges in Belgium whilst Liverpool return to the scene of their 2019 Champions League triumph when they face Atletico Madrid with Atleti's manager Diego Simeone labelling Mo Salah as exceptional and we ask, is the Egyptian the best player on the planet right now? All that to come with me, Niall McCorn, in the company of Jim Salverson. How are you doing, Jim? I'm good, Tar. I'm the only member of the sports social team not hung over today, so I feel like that puts me in prime <laughs> position. <laughs> I was going to say, I think me and Marley are feeling worse for wear because fresh off the back of his own stag weekend, and I'm sure a shell of his former self, Marley Anderson, how are you feeling, mate? Uh, all right, <laughs> not, but not all right. Like, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm literally that personification of I'm here in body but not in spirit. Like, just keep thinking about life. Regressing <laughs> <laughs> choices. <laughs> Contemplating uh, oh, decisions yeah. made over the last 48 or 72 hours, I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah. But hopefully this uh, podcast will be a bit of a tonic for you, Marley. And for me, and actually we can start off by talking about what was a really enjoyable game last night in the Premier League between Arsenal and Crystal Palace at the Emirates Stadium. It finished two apiece. I really enjoyed it unfair a little bit on Crystal Palace I thought Crystal Palace played very very well and a lot of the things we discussed on yesterday's podcast were prophesized I suppose you could say for the result we weren't really sure which way it was going to swing and it ended up all square 2-2 it finished I think for me Jim 
what I noticed was that Arsenal in possession, particularly in midfield, were continually caught on the ball. It happened regularly. They kept being dispossessed. Crystal Palace were really pressing quite well, um, really going to engage in the midfield area. Players like Conor Gallagher was doing that really, really well. So do you think with that in mind, that's poor from Arsenal or good from Palace or maybe a combination of both? I think it's, as you say, it's six of one, it's half a dozen of the other. I think the new way in which Crystal Palace play is going to catch a lot of midfields out because they are quick to press. And when they do press and win the ball back, they move it forward very quickly. And that is part of the blueprint that Patrick Vieira has put into Crystal Palace. So that is always going to catch teams out, particularly teams who are as poor in midfield as Arsenal. And that really seems to be their Achilles heel at the moment, even with Thomas Partey back last night. And everyone expected him to kind of be the key to improving that Arsenal midfield. He's just not shown it yet. And he's been in and out of the side with injury. So maybe he needs to settle into that midfield a little bit more. But they did get caught out too regularly. Partey got caught out for the goal as well that Palace scored. I think it was their second, wasn't it? That he got caught on the ball for. So yeah, Arsenal were sloppy in midfield. But then it's one of those situations where when teams press they can make the opposition look sloppy when they do it well because they're giving them less time to think. They're forcing those mistakes. So Arsenal were poor in midfield, but at the same time, Crystal Palace were very good. And incidentally, we shouldn't be surprised that this game finished 2-2 because it always produces loads of goals, which is weird when you consider how Crystal Palace have been over the last two, three years. They've been very defensive, very cagey, but there's always goals in this fixture. So 2-2 isn't out of the ordinary for this one. Yeah, Benteke doesn't score a great deal of goals these days, but he often scores at the Emirates. He likes going to Arsenal and he scored again last night. Osson Edouard, the other goal scorer, the two Arsenal scorers, Lacazette right at the end and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And we discussed on yesterday's show, Marley, when talking about Arsenal, I think Steve used the word soft underbelly. And, you know, I think that's a fair comment to make from what we've seen from Arsenal over the last three or four seasons, to be honest. However, we can describe them as having a soft underbelly, but we've got to give them credit because they kept going and they found a way through right at the end and Lacazette scored at the death. So, you know, we can criticise them for having a soft underbelly, but we've got to give them credit because that wasn't on display when it came to trying to grind out an equaliser. Yeah, I think, you know, they'd have probably lost that game you know, uh, towards the end of last season um, when they were really struggling. But they they, they have seemed to get better. And the one thing I, I sort of liked about Arsenal on their performance was they were still brave and, and still tried to play when the press was coming from from Palace. They were still, say, you know, backing themselves and not, not shying away. Um, but that was mixed in with the fact that they just... It almost like went into complacency. Like Partey should have known um, Gallagher. Was it Gallagher took it off him in the end, or, or was it Benteke? Whoever it was should have he, he should have known he was there, um, or someone should have told him. You know, um, they, there's, they had so many chances to to still get out of that situation as well. Like even when he lost it, I think Smith Rose, the next guy um, who has the chance to to repress and, and press Gallagher again to to get it. And at that point, you've just got to you've just got to smack him, just take him out, try and slide him. You know, if you don't get the ball, it's a yellow card, but you haven't lost you know um, the ball thirty yards from their goal because as soon as he's going at your back four, you know you're going to concede at least a shot on ta- uh, shot on goal. And uh, the so it was like the philosophy was there, but the decision making wasn't. And I felt that even for the first goal as well, I thought they had chances to uh, to get rid of that as well. Um, but you know. The, this is what 
it, it hinges on when you play like that. You know, if you've got a team pressing you, you've got to be brave in possession. And if you make a mistake, you are going to lose a goal. But you've got as long as you understand, you've got to come back from that. And in the end, they got the goal at the end. Um, and probably got what was probably a fair result, I would say. I'd be questioning if I was at Patrick Vieira, Crystal Palace conceding that goal at the end as well, because I think it's two games running. They've conceded really late goals now, and it's cost them four points ultimately, which could make a difference from at the end of the season. We don't know how the season's going to pan out, but that goal they conceded at the end against Arsenal, pure concentration, because they had three, two, two, three chances to clear that ball once off the line. The head, I don't know who it was that uh, headed the first clearance for Crystal Palace, but it was a poor header in the first instance and that's pure it's 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 your energy levels at that point and it's concentration and that's something that Patrick Vieira will want to work on because that's points thrown away and when you've taken a game to that point you shouldn't be losing it with the last kick of the game it's unlucky yeah but at the same time I think there can be questions that are asked and the other time that they conceded late was against Brighton their rivals Mm. which would have hurt even more I mean, as you say, Vieira was devastated, Jim. He was down on his haunches when that goal went in. He, he almost had his head in, in his hands as if to say, why has this happened again? But it's an issue he'll need to address for sure. But from what we've seen so far, considering you were one of the people that felt that Crystal Palace might struggle this season, do you think that they'll be okay under Patrick Vieira? Because we said yesterday they're hard to beat, but they can't keep on throwing points away and keep on drawing games. They've only won one fixture this season. They've drawn four or five now, I think it is, and they've only lost two. And of the two they've lost, one of them was to Chelsea, which is understandable, and the other was to Liverpool, which is equally as understandable. So actually, in terms of the games they've had, they've done all right, but they can't keep drawing games. They need to start picking up three points sooner rather than later. Otherwise, they're going to make it hard for themselves. I think they'll be more than okay. And as you say, I was a doubter for Patrick Vieira's appointment. I thought it was foolish from Palace and probably suicidal, but he's really impressed me in the first eight games he's had at that football club. You can see a plan. The development has been week on week. Every week they look a little bit better. And last night, I think they were probably the better of the two teams. I think they potentially could see themselves as unlucky I think to the extent they dominated that game that a lot of Arsenal fans would have been sitting there watching that wondering if they had the right Arsenal legend in the dugout I mean they potentially should have gone for Patrick Vieira over Mikel Arteta who after all has got more managerial experience than Mikel Arteta certainly as the manager rather than the assistant so I think they'll be more than all right they could say they were unlucky last night and in terms of the way they played, you'd have to agree with them that they probably deserved all three points. But at the same time, they were lucky to have 11 players on the pitch at the end because I thought the foul from James MacArthur on Saka was 100% a red card. So they were lucky not to have him sent off. And obviously down to 10 minutes, it would have been a very different story. Yeah, I mean, that's three draws in a row now for Crystal Palace in eight games. Just the one win, the same amount of wins as Southampton, as Leeds. You know, it's uh, it's not looking great in terms of that column, but certainly it's got to swing one way or the other sooner rather than later because they should have had probably six points instead of two against Brighton and Arsenal. So certainly I think that something maybe Vieira needs to address is that. And talking of Patrick Vieira, the signings that he's had to work with this summer have been very, very good. I think they've been smart. We've mentioned before, Marley, also Edward and how good he could be. You tipped him as someone who you think might do a good job in the Premier League. But also, how good is Conor Gallagher, again involved for Crystal Palace last night, at the core of everything that they did that was that was good? 
and he's on loan from Chelsea and a player that has such potential. Michael Elise again, involved last night, just a young lad who's really taken to the Premier League well. So, you know, we criticise recruitment from some Premier League clubs when they don't get it right, but it's only fair that we give Palace credit that they have done because it seems to have worked, the recruitment drive that they've been on in the summer. Definitely, I think... um... Gallagher's the, the the leading light in that team. He's um he's very very good. He's got an eye for goal which not many centre midfielders um can match. He's got great technique. His energy is fantastic. Um and I think we were linked with him in the summer when Chelsea decided we'll loan um they were going to loan him again. It was between like Palace and I think Newcastle and Leeds were both in it as well. Um and I was thinking I'd, I'd love to get him because. Just the way he plays is is fantastic. Um, he's really impressed us at West Brom, and then last season, and then you know he's doing the same at Palace. But you know he's uh, he's a proper modern day footballer. Like he can do a bit of everything, and he's got loads of, you know, he leads the press. He's like, right, come on, we're going to get the ball. We're not just going to sit and and hope we get it back because they make, might make a mistake. He's the one saying, right, well, I don't care if Thomas Partey's there and he's fifty million quid. I'm going to try and tackle him, and you know I'm going to blindside him and, and nick it off him. And I just think it's the way the way he sort of approaches the game is brilliant, and you know he's key for the system that uh, Vieira is trying to put in there. He's trying to make them a um, a braver side and who, who press a bit higher up the pitch. And you've seen it perfectly manifest itself last night at the Emirates, where um, the, his tactics worked. So fair play to him, and he can't be far off. Um, either a big move in the summer or getting back in the Chelsea team. Um, because I don't think that's that's uh, too far for him. He's he's honestly he's, he's very very good. Yeah, he is very impressive, and maybe an England call up could be coming soon from Gareth Southgate if he continues. The next international break about twenty days or so away, about just under three weeks, I think. So I'll be quite keen to see who Gareth Southgate selects for the next round of World Cup qualifiers. And just on England, by the way, we discussed it on yesterday's podcast when it was only a rumour, but it has since been confirmed that UEFA have banned England for two games at Wembley in UEFA competition. Uh, the next immediate game uh, in UEFA competition, there'll be a fan ban, so supporters won't be allowed in the stadium. And then there's another one which has been suspended for two years, which I thought might be the case on yesterday's podcast. That has since been confirmed, just to let everybody know. Sticking with this game, just finally talking about Arsenal. Again, something we mentioned on yesterday's Football Social Daily, which if you subscribe, by the way, you can uh, get every single podcast drop into your inbox as soon as they're ready. Was Arsenal's lack of goal scoring, reliance on Lacazette, and Aubameyang for their goals was evident again last night. Lacazette won't sign a new deal. He's probably going to leave in the summer. And Aubameyang hasn't exactly had his shooting boots on for the last 18 months or so. But those two were the ones who scored the goals for Arsenal. But they can't rely on them for much longer. They need an adequate replacement, definitely for Lacazette, who it looks almost certain is going to move on. So is that something you think that they need to do in January? Bring in a striker? Because for me, I don't think, as I said yesterday, Nketi is quite ready. Martinelli still needs some developing to do. Following Balogun is still very young and doesn't have the experience. So in terms of where Arsenal get their goals from in the next year or so, when Lacazette does move on, that's something that Arteta needs to be future-proofing, I guess. Yeah, I don't think you can blame Lacazette for wanting to leave Arsenal because he seems to have been a bit part player pretty much throughout his entire Arsenal career and he doesn't seem to get on the pitch that much at the moment. And I don't really understand why because every time I've seen him play for Arsenal, I think he's been very good. I think he's been quick, 
I think he's been threatening. He's got a good eye for goal. So I don't really understand why he's been marginalised. So you can't really blame him for leaving. But because he's been marginalised, that kind of raises the question, does he need to then be replaced if he is a bit part player? And the players you mentioned, particularly Martinelli, I think are probably the future of that Arsenal front line. The question is whether Arsenal can get to a stage where those players have reached the level they need to develop to step in in place of Aubameyang. But let's... I mean, Aubameyang's not on the scrap heap yet. He's still got a couple of good years in it. It's why Arsenal offered him a new contract. It doesn't look like he's going anywhere in the short term. So I don't think they necessarily do need to buy in the January window. Potentially in the summer, again, you've got to wonder how those other players are going to develop. And they're not going to develop without the game time. So there is a balancing act to be done there. But I'd suggest there's probably more pressing areas for Arsenal to spend their money, i.e. the midfield area if they are going to splash out in January or over the summer. And the big question is, when did Aubameyang get those dreadlocks? I don't know how he's grown them. It, like, last week he had it shaved at the sides and this week he's got dreadlocks. I'm quite in- he, he always had quite a tall hairstyle though, didn't he? he like a, like yeah. a really, st- it could stand it up quite tall. But I was quite enjoying the bandana. Uh, more bandanas, please, in Premier League. He wants to be, he wants to be Saint Maximan, really, doesn't he? You know? <laughs> Who wouldn't? Jim, honestly, <laughs> Jim, they're on, um, they're on uh, eBay. So I expect when we go into the office next, I want to see you with them. Are you suggesting it's like one of those Rastafarian hats <laughs> with, the, with the, the sewn on? Uh, All I'm suggesting is I want to see you in dreadlocks. <laughs> Maybe we should do that as a Christmas special. The worst ever Premier League hairstyles. <laughs> David James would be in there at least four times if it was a top Terebo ten. Terebo West. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we could have a whole different podcast on uh, dodgy Premier League hairstyles. But anyway, last night Crystal Palace against Arsenal at the Emirates finished two-two in the Premier League. Very much as it was really when it comes to the table after that result. Arsenal remain in 12th with 11 points, three wins from their eight games. Crystal Palace, their fifth draw of the Premier League season, they're still in 14th on eight points. From the Premier League to the Champions League, because we're going to be talking about Europe next on Football Social Daily, Manchester City and Liverpool both in action tonight. We'll talk about it next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sport Social, part of the Sport Social Podcast Network. If you head to our website, sport-social.co.uk, and you just look at the top for the podcasts tab, give that a click, and there is a whole array of different sports podcasts for you to get your ears around, ranging from Speedway, of which Great Britain are the world champions, by the way. So check out um, Ian Brannan's uh, official British Speedway podcast. I'm sure that'll be packed with loads of great reaction to that. Um, You can find that there, Snooker, and loads of different Premier League podcasts as well. If you're a fan of any of the 20 top flight teams, there'll be something for you there. So once again, go and check out the network, sport-social.co.uk, and just click the podcast tab at the top. Time to talk about the Champions League now because it's match week three in Europe's Premier Club competition and two Premier League sides in action tonight. Two of the top sides in the league as well, Liverpool and Manchester City. Both of the teams are away from home and we'll start with Liverpool who travel to Atletico Madrid. 
and they'll have fond memories of the Wanda Metropolitano Stadium in the Spanish capital because it's the stadium in which they won the 2019 Champions League against Tottenham Hotspur. Mo Salah was in the team that day and ahead of this game, Marley, Atletico manager Diego Simeone has called Mo Salah extraordinary. And to be fair, it's not a bad description. He's probably right with the way he started this season. Some of the goals he's scored, even just eight games in, have been absolutely breathtaking. Do you think he's the best player in the world right now on current form? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, I'd love to sit here and tell you that you know Callum Wilson's going to get to <laughs> going to overtake him in that race, but not going to happen. Um, yeah, he's. He, I think he is, especially with the the sort of slight drop off of of the Spanish league and stuff. I think we're now uh, realizing that he is like elite, and he is. You know, his head and shoulders above everyone. The way he wrapped up Man City a couple of weeks ago for that goal was was ridiculous. Um, and you know, he's top scorer in the league, I think, isn't he? And you know, just making everything look so easy. And you know, he's he's. Uh, his ceiling, you could never have seen it though, could you? Like when he came from Roma, he he was good, but he wasn't. You didn't expect him to get to this level, and he, that's. I mean, when that's he was what, let go by Chelsea. Well, when he was at Chelsea, I thought that he looked okay, but he only scored a couple of goals, and then he kept being loaned out, and that's what Chelsea do. But it didn't look like a bad decision, did it? When they let him go, it didn't look like no one went, "Oh, what are they doing now? What are they doing that for?" No, and the same with De Bruyne, which is why I think Chelsea get stick for that. And the fact mm. that they let those two players go, but maybe at the time they weren't ready. And I think both players used that Chelsea rejection to their advantage, which, you know, it is testament yeah. to them. But I'm totally with you, Marley. When he first arrived in the Premier League, no one would have thought he would have scored 30 goals in the Premier League that season, in his first season. It was phenomenal. And he's, you know, he's hit the ground running, obviously, in the Premier League since he arrived. And he hasn't stopped. He's still going. It's it's brilliant. Yeah, he's, I mean, sure, no signs of, of stopping, is he? I mean it's just yeah you, I mean you're thinking we've got to stop him at the weekend and then you think oh god if we try and stop him then there's Mane and, and Firmino and Jota that can all score goals and stuff as well so it's not just give it to him and hope he scores and we win like it's for Liverpool it's we'll give it to him uh, and if that doesn't work you know we'll give it to Mane and everyone will start you know worrying about Mane and then that means means you leave Salah um, free at the far post or the other side of the pitch or whatever it is and yeah, it's. I mean, there's no other contender really for me who's who's up there with him um, right now. I can't really think of someone who's who's at that level. And you know, Ronaldo and Messi, you know, they've changed clubs and stuff. They're not quite where they were. Uh, Benzema's having a great season in in France, in France, uh, in Spain. Um, but of the two of them, you'd probably rather have Salah. Um, so you know. Yeah, I can't think of anyone else, really. Do you know what's interesting about this conversation is I had exactly the same conversation this weekend with my eight-year-old. So he's eight years old. He's just got into these. There's these football cards you get nowadays. They're called match cards. I don't know if you're aware of them. But they've got like various players across Europe. They have like defence stats and attack stats. And you kind of like play top trumps with them, essentially. So he's just got into that. It's his first kind of foray into football. And he's asking me all these questions about all these players, like how to pronounce foreign player names. And I'm like, asking the wrong person, mate. <laughs> but, but he asked the question this weekend, who was better, Kevin De Bruyne, Mo Salah or Harry Kane? And it's a really interesting question to come from that level because it's a really binary question to ask who is the best player in the world. And there's not a binary <laughs> answer to it. So mm. at this moment in time, Mo Salah is playing out of his skin and 
I've been one of the people who's probably underrated Mohamed Salah in terms of what he, what he offers a team. But I think this season he's added an element to his game and he's scoring this messy type goals. But does that make him a better player for the contribution that he puts in over Kevin De Bruyne, who maybe isn't quite at the level you'd expect him to be this season? So it's a really difficult question to answer. But at the moment, on current form, there is no player anyone would rather have in their team than Mohamed Salah, I don't think. And I think that's the key on current form, because I think it's so easy to just judge players from how good they are on current form. Mm. And we do that with good reason, because for me, Salah is the form player, not just in the Premier League, but in Europe right now. You know, Diego Simeone, a vastly experienced footballer in his playing days and since has done great things as the manager of Atletico Madrid. And he's labelled Salah as extraordinary. And this is a guy who's managed some top, top players at that football club. So he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And you think and, who, who he's played with. You know, he's played with Messi, he's played with Batistuta. All yeah. these players over the years. So, yeah, no one's more qualified than him, are they? Precisely. And... I think it's a difficult conversation to get into because you say the words Messi-esque, Jim, about that goal he scored and a couple of goals he scored this season, in fact. And I think right now on current form, Mo Salah is better than Messi or playing better than Messi. But then again, you get people who say, well, I can't be better than Messi because Messi's been the best for 15 years. Well, he has been the best for 15 years, but it's all about consistency. And when players have retired, we'll look back in 10 years and we'll go, well, Ronaldo and Messi were good, weren't they? They were both the best ever. But at the yeah. moment, in terms of who's playing the best football on the planet right now, for me, it's Mo Salah. And I think that that's a different conversation mm. to have who's the best ever to who's the best right now. Yeah, he has to do it consistently to be held within the same regard as the likes of Ronaldo and Messi. But at some point, that crown has to be passed on. And Ronaldo and Messi are reaching, if not in, the twilight of their careers. And there has to be someone else coming through. And do you know what? We're in a place in football where we are blessed with having different players we could class as world class. Ronaldo and Messi, to have two in one era is phenomenal. And we're, we're there again. We've got Kevin De Bruyne, we've got Mohamed Salah, and even though he's not finding form at the moment, you'd have to say Harry Kane is within that conversation or has the potential to be within that conversation as well. And it's extraordinary to have that much talent in the game at any one time. I agree. And I also don't like this narrative when someone gets called one of the best players in the world or praised for how good they've been. You always get someone who just retorts, oh, they're not as good as Messi, though. Oh, they're not as good as Ronaldo, though. It's like, maybe not, but that doesn't mean they're not an unbelievably good football player. It's just like, you know, if Messi's the measuring stick, then God help us all. Because no one will ever be good at football if he's if he's kind of the benchmark. So yeah, I think Mo Salah deserves immense credit. I think he's brilliant for the Premier League. I think he's brilliant for African football. Um, he must be an absolute idol, an icon in Egypt for what he's done. Fair play to Mo Salah, and I'm sure he'll be uh, looking forward to tonight's game against Atletico Madrid. It's a it's a group in which Liverpool have also got AC Milan and Porto. They've got six points, the top of the group at the moment. I mean, we talk about Simeone Mali and how good he's been over the years. His teams have always got that grit and steel about them. They're always tough to break down. But with Liverpool's form and the quality players they've got, do you think they're favourites going into this one? Uh, yeah, they probably probably have to start as favourites. Um, I think the, the probably the equal in stick is is um, Atletico being at home um, and playing a slightly different system these days to what we were used to. I mean... Remember when uh, the Champions League was when they met this? Is it the semi-final when it when it was two really sort of tight, cagey games? But Liverpool edged it in the end. Um, I think they're 
well, firstly, I think it's going to be a great game, and every everyone in that group is, you know, they're good games. It's it's a hard group for Liverpool to get out of, so they can't slack off at all because, you know, they could. I mean, I know they they made light work of Porto, but is it Leipzig in the other the other um, spot in that group? And they, you know, they they can turn up and pull off a shock. So if you don't beat Atletico, it's not like oh well, we'll beat everyone else. But you you probably will. But they've always got potential. It's not like you've got some minnows in there and, and you're always going to beat them. Mm. So it's a tough group. So they need to they need to get get it done. And there's nothing better, I don't think, for confidence. Than going away to Atletico and beating them, so I think even though they're probably not lacking confidence at all, um, it's always nice to have have that sort of um, that name on your resume. Like, yeah, we've gone and beat them this year, and that'll make you just that little bit stronger. You know, you can go and beat the the toughest one of the toughest teams in the world on their own back backyard. You know, with all the talent they've got. So, I think it'd be a really good game. To be fair. I reckon we could see the winner of the Europa League coming out of this group. When you look at the teams that are in it, Liverpool, Atletico, Porto, Milan, the other one. Is it Milan? Sorry, I said Leipzig, didn't I? They're currently bottom Milan, which seems crazy. I mean, it is the group of death, but it'd be hard to argue that either... It's going to be either Group B or Group E that the team that drops down into the Europa has a really good chance of winning that competition. But some two really strong groups. And also incentive for those Europa League teams like Leicester, like West Ham to finish top of their group. Because if you finish top of your group in the Europa League this season, you avoid playing against those Mm. teams who drop down from the Champions League. So if you finish second, you will likely face one of those Champions League sides that have dropped down. So extra incentive for those in the Europa League. Which could be Barcelona at the moment. I mean, Barcelona are bottom of their group. They've not won in the Champions League yet this season, which... It's a ridiculous thing to say. Imagine the calls for the Super League if they go out of the Champions League at the group stages. Barcelona away at the London Stadium. Can you imagine? <laughs> if I was uh, if I was anyone in the Europa League now, I'd be trying to finish second and taking the one in eight chance of playing Barcelona if they drop out. Absolutely awful at the minute. Awful yeah, team. They are looking poor. Um, Atletico, the Spanish champions, of course, face Liverpool tonight. Uh, they are winless in their four previous home Champions League fixtures, drawing three and losing one. But that being said, Liverpool aren't great travellers to Spain. They've lost six of their previous seven away fixtures in Spain, in Europe, aside from that Champions League final in which they won in 2019 at that very stadium. So looking forward to seeing this game tonight between Atletico and Liverpool in the Champions League. Liverpool currently top the group, Atletico in second. Manchester City also in action tonight. The shorter trip that they make is across the channel and into Belgium where they face Club Bruges. And City often get criticised, Jim, for their Champions League performances at times. Pep Guardiola often gets some stick for overthinking, particularly in Europe. But they should see off Club Bruges, shouldn't they, with the quality that they've got, regardless of whether Pep doesn't overthink and plays a mad team. They've got the quality to to beat a a team like Bruges quite comfortably with no disrespect to the Belgians. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's not a lot you could say about that. Manchester City should beat Club Bruges. Nine times out of ten. I don't think the overthinking from Pep really happens in the group stages. They almost feel like a bit of a form, form, formality. Formality, yes. formality that's the word yeah. I'm looking for, for City when you get through this stage of the competition. It's when it gets to the pointy end, when it gets to the semis and the quarters and even the final. That's when we see the weird Pep roulette come in and strange formation choices and strange substitutions and all that kind of thing. But it does feel like getting through the group stages is kind of 
going through the motions for Guardiola. The one thing I would say about City at the moment is I don't think they've really found their formula for playing this season. And considering some of the results they've turned in, that just shows how much strength and depth there is in that team. But they don't seem to have quite found the way they're going to play whether it's going to be with a false nine, whether it's going to be with a midfielder pushing forward, who's going to lead the line. They've tried it with Jack Grealish. That didn't work. Uh, Ferran Torres seems like a good option, but he's injured for tonight's game. So I think they're still searching for that ideal formula, which I have no doubt they'll find over the next few weeks. But that is only the only potential concern for Manchester City could be if you were going to try and find something where the goals are going to come from. Because they only scored two against Burnley at the weekend. They normally score five against Burnley. And it was only two. So there's got to be cause for concern there. Well, I think they'll be all right, Jim, because if you're a, a Premier League football fan supporting a Premier League club in Europe and you see Club Bruges away come up, get yourself tickets and go to the game because Bruges haven't beaten an English team in Europe since 1995. Good beer as well. Yeah, good beer, good day out, um, and I'm sure Manchester City will be okay. However, they did lose their last Champions League game against PSG. PSG weren't the better team. I think City were, Marley. I think we can all agree on that. But they still lost the game. They lost the game 2-0, didn't they? So, you know, Pep Guardiola will be keen not to lose back-to-back Champions League games because in the group stages, you know, that's that's damaging, really, isn't it? But, it, it, I mean, we can't see that happening tonight, but he'll be keen to avoid it regardless. Yeah, I think... Um... They were probably the better team against P- against PSG. He just didn't take the chances. Um, and you're always going to concede chances against PSG. Don't, no matter how well or poorly they play, they're always going to uh, create something against you, especially on the counter-attack with the pace and quality they've got up there. So I wouldn't I wouldn't overthink that one too much. Um, I mean, Bruges, Bruges, you know, Bruges are okay. You know, they're not, they're not complete write-offs. Um, but, I mean, they should be in this game. You know, there's no way... City should be dropping points here. Um, but I think, to be fair, I think the PSG result will sort of refocus them and say, you know what, you know, if if we lose to Bruges or draw, you know, it, it might just get a bit tighter than we want it to be. We want to be through with a game to spare, really, if you, if that can, can happen. But, you know, Bruges beat Leipzig last time and they weren't, uh, they weren't expected to. But they've got a good young team. I think... Um, the guy leading the line up there, Charles de Ketelaire, I think he's called. He's um he's very, very good. He's like twenty years old, so he's the next one off the production line. They tend to have, you know, players yep. come through, young Belgian players. Um or young They well, tend to sell him to Aston Villa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did uh, was it Sanderberg came from there as well? Um I think did he come from Bruges? And he was one of the most sought after players in, in in Europe and ended up at Sheffield United, which is still one of the most bizarre moves I've ever heard of. But he's, you know, there's there's talent in that team, um, but realistically, they shouldn't really be laying a glove on on City, um, and and yeah, it should be should be a fairly straightforward game, I think. Yeah, I think it was Genk actually. Thinking back now, um, Sanderberg Genk. came. Wow, I'm all I'm all. I'm apologise for me. Uh, <laughs> He's all over the, the shop. Yeah, <laughs> it's the well, Nuki Brown is getting to his bloodstream. Um, oh, but, I had a few of them in, in the strawberry on on, on Sunday. <laughs> what an experience! Um, I tell you what, we can talk about Belgian football and how Manchester City should comfortably beat Club Bruges. But Marley's right, Jim. There's some really good players that have plied their trade in Belgium and. 
if you look at the quality of the Belgium national team, you have to give them respect. I mean, even in the Premier League now, players like I think Emmanuel Dennis, did he not come from uh, the Belgian league as well? And, you know, he's gone to Watford and he looks like an exciting young player. So I think Belgium as a nation, a footballing nation, um, especially with the national team that they've produced, players like Lukaku and De Bruyne and Mertens and the like, they deserve huge credit, don't you think? Yeah, but being strong as a footballing nation doesn't necessarily lead to having a strong league within that nation. And you could stay the same about the uh, Erdovisa in Holland because Holland have produced some huge, brilliant talent over the last 30 years, but very rarely have their teams bothered any of the latter stages of the Champions League or even the Europa League or whatever the European competition has been called at that time. So even though they do have a habit of generating talent and we're now coming to the end of that golden era of the Belgium national team, I think, it doesn't necessarily follow that the club teams are going to be able to put the same quality on the pitch purely because of the strength of La Liga and the Premier League and Serie A in terms of being able to poach those players and offer bigger wages and better wages. And I think that's more extreme than ever now because you haven't just got your Manchester United and Liverpool and Chelsea poaching those big players. You've got teams right the way down the league and you mentioned Standerberg and he's being bought by Sheffield United last season. So right the way through the Premier League and even the top half of the Championship, they now have the ability to go to these European nations and offer better deals and better packages and bring out that talent and as much as it makes the Premier League an incredibly competitive place it also weakens these foreign leagues and these leagues in the without wanting to be disparaging lesser European nations so as we've covered several times and mentioned several times the likes of um, Club Bruges tonight against City and I even said likes of Genk against West Ham later on in the week in the Europa League shouldn't really cause too much issue for either side. Let's discuss Manchester City then. We've spoken about Club Bruges. I think it's important that Sterling plays tonight, Marley. I don't know what your take is because he hasn't had the greatest start to the season. So if he does get chosen to start tonight by Guardiola, how important is it, do you think, that he has a good game this evening? Very. I think he's got to remind everyone how good he is. Um, and we've seen that in the in the summer with England, didn't we? Um you know, we he was almost written off and people were like, well, why are we starting him when Sancho's coming off a great season and, and Greenwood didn't even get in the squad and, and what have you. And he was he was the man who just took England basically to to that uh, final, really. Um, but yeah, I think with the, the talent Man City have got, I know they haven't really got a centre-forward, but they've got a load of wingers. So you need to you need to remind Pep that, uh, that, you, that you're the sort of main man. I think with Grealish, he's always going to get games Grealish after his price tag and, and all the rest of it. So he's going to almost pick himself. Mares has been probably been one of the most consistent City um, City attackers in, in the past two or three years. Um, and then you've got Jesus moving out wide. Torres obviously injured at the minute, but he's pre- predominantly a, a wide player. So there's plenty of talent there. Um, and Foden, even Foden's been playing on a wing every now and again. So, you know, he has to... You just have to set a reminder, basically, because he's not... Everyone's quick to beat him with the, oh, well, he can't finish stick. Um, But if you're getting chances and you're scoring goals, people people tend to shut up. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's even been rumours these days of him saying, if I can play somewhere else, um, I might be open to it. But, you know, that's, that's the future. So for now, the best place to, to be is in the team scoring goals and remind him, teams how good you are if you do want that move so it works it works both ways 
I've got a feeling he might be done at City, to be honest with you. I think those comments he made about wanting to potentially play first-team football and looking to move away if he couldn't get that first-team football, I'm paraphrasing there, I can't remember the exact comments. <laughs> he said Pep- he'd be open to a move abroad, that That's was what right. he said. And yeah. then Pep Guardiola's reaction to that I thought was really interesting when he said, I want players who want to be at the team, who desire to play here. And for me, Pep Guardiola's an unusual character, isn't he? He demands a lot from his players in terms of dedication and commitment. And I just wonder how those comments from Raheem Sterling, and it doesn't even feel like they were taken out of context. I wonder how they'll play with him in terms of how Pep sees his future at the club from here on in. Because I think he'll be thinking, well, he'll be thinking to the future. He'll be thinking to the next two, three years. And part of that thinking will be, well, if Raheem Sterling isn't going to be here, for the next two, three years. Why do I play him now? Why do I integrate him into this transition period that Manchester City are in? So I think we'll see Raheem Sterling fleetingly over the next few months. Maybe even we'll see him move in January. I might be wrong, but that's kind of the sense I get. And just finally on this game, talking of players, what about Pep Guardiola's player management that he'll need to utilise tonight against Club Bruges? Because Edison and Gabriel Jesus, the two Brazilian internationals, have flown straight from Brazil after international duty into Belgium. They've not even stopped off in Manchester. So there are decisions to be made, Jim, on whether to throw them into the mix straight away for this game or whether to, to leave them on the sidelines. Because... You know, we know the travelling and the impact it can have on the anatomy and, and players' fitness and physicality. Yeah, I think it's smart player management from Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp's done exactly the same with Alisson and Fabino. He flew them to Spain straight after But their would, games would that not indicate that they're gonna play? Because if yeah, if I Guardiola so. leaves out Edison and Jesus for the game against Bruges, you may as well just say, go back to Manchester, lads, rest up, and we'll link up again in the middle of the next week for training. The fact yeah, that the, the players have flown out to the countries of Spain and Belgium, respectively, would lead me to believe that they're going to play. Yeah, and it's given them less travel time, ultimately, hasn't it? Because they haven't had to fly from Brazil to London, then London to Spain or Belgium, or wherever the destination is. So I think it 100% indicates that it's in their planning and it just shows again it goes to show the depth that these teams have they can do without these key players they don't need to bring them back to England and play in the Premier League and they can focus on the next fixture on the Champions League and give them opportunities in that but yeah I think you're 100% right it says definitely that they will both feature in this game I guess I think they could have played if they'd flown back in from Brazil to the UK and the rules are changing so much at the moment it's so difficult to keep tabs on what kind of quarantining players have to do. But I think as long as they tested negative, they could have then played in those weekend's games. But I guess there is also a risk that they could test positive and then not play. So I don't know. But yeah, you're right. It would indicate that they will both feature, all four of those players will feature for Liverpool and City respectively at the weekend uh, in these games. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely not at the weekend. They're tonight, these uh, Champions <laughs> League games. There's also European fixtures tomorrow and on Thursday as well, which of course we'll discuss right throughout the week here on Football Social Daily. But for today's episode of the podcast, that is that. We are done for now. If you hit subscribe that way, you won't miss any subsequent episodes right throughout the rest of the season because as I'm sure you already know by now, we are the only daily Premier League podcast that you can find so that's it for today marley have you stocked up on paracetamol are you going to get back into bed today what's the deal <laughs> uh well no i'm at work so i'm going to be thoroughly professional 
Um, I'm going to B and M to try and get some dreadlocks when we're next in the office. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been through a fair few paracetamol this 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 uh, this weekend. So yeah, but I, th- I thought you'd be sick of wearing fancy dress after the weekend, but clearly not. He wants to go to B and M and buy <laughs> some sort of hat. To uh, post the pictures of you in a wedding dress onto the sports social Twitter account, Marley, for everyone to see. Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he is the social media manager, so I'm sure he probably gets the final say on that, to be fair. (laughs) He'll change all the passwords, so we can't do it. That's it for today's episode of Football Social Daily. Thanks for tuning in. Hit subscribe and you won't miss tomorrow's. We'll be back again with another one then. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Every day, we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.